You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. All right, welcome into the Nick Bob Podcast live from the AOI Studios, a.k.a. my basement office. You know what's awesome? Going to Cincinnati and being in the Centos Center and calling games like Creighton Xavier on Big Fox with Kevin Kugler. You know what isn't awesome? The chairs that Kevin and I sat in for the entire game. You know what chair is awesome? The chair that I'm currently sitting in right now. The chair that the good people at AOI hooked me up with, and that is the Aeron chair from Herman Miller. I love this chair, man. I can record two and a half hour pods. I can watch film and get my game prep game right for hours and feel comfortable the entire time. Here's the thing about this uh, this glorious chair. that This chair is mastered with the latest research around the science of sitting, advancements in materials, manufacturing, and technology. If you are looking... For a new office chair for your business or just a new chair for yourself, you got to check out the Aeron from Herman Miller. Check out AOI on the web, AOICorp.com. That's AOICorp.com or give them a ring, 402-896-5520. That's 896-5520. Uh, reminder, subscribe to the podcast, man. All I got to do is hit that subscribe button. That way, anytime I drop a pod, boom, it is waiting for you on your phone. It helps me out. It helps you out. While you're at it, leave a five-star rating. Uh, leave a little review. I appreciate everybody uh, listening, leaving a review, all that stuff. Seriously, you guys, like, you don't get how much it means to me, man. I really, really appreciate it. All right, on the pod today, I just had a uh, – it's, it's Sunday night, and I had a really good – phone conversation with Greg McDermott. You know, Creighton knocked off Xavier over the weekend. It was Greg McDermott's uh, career win number 500. I was like, oh, let me get, let me get, let me, let me holler my boy Coach Mack here. There's tons to touch on uh, with, with Coach Mack. And that conversation is coming up. But a couple of things I want to get to first uh, before we get to that. Uh, Nebraska. Let, let's talk a little Nebraska ball for a second here. So it's just, Nebraska is <laughs> such an interesting team. Like, so, you know, Jake Mielheisen and I had a great hour-long uh, therapy session talking about Nebraska basketball, the good, the bad, what we like, all that stuff. Really good stuff. If you haven't, if you haven't listened to that, make sure you go check that out. Uh, really good stuff with Meal. Uh, but Nebraska loses at Northwestern. Um, first of all, Nebraska got hosed at the end of the game because Deshaun Burke got fouled on that three-point attempt as time expired that would have tied the game. There's a slow-motion replay from the baseline that shows uh, Burke got his arm hit bad as he's shooting, which is a total bummer, right? You never want to see something like that happen. But that game was one that I'm not sure Nebraska deserved to win, if that makes sense. I think even even Hoiberg said after the game that that, that game was a lesson in how important it is to lock in and play a full 40 minutes. Nebraska wasn't ready to rock early and got in a huge hole. And then, you know, life is tough when you're on the road in the Big Ten, even against Northwestern, trying to dig out of a hole. Now, credit Nebraska for fighting, but 
a part of the kind of growth process is learning to fight right from the get-go. And that's kind of just right in line with what has been kind of the big, broad issue with this team. Just kind of inconsistent, got a hard time sustaining uh, certain standards of play. They're just a little inconsistent with their defensive effort and intensity and attention to detail. And in some ways, if you think about Nebraska's last three games, kind of just exactly what this team is. Got rocked by Rutgers, which is possible every night for Nebraska, then control Iowa from start to finish and beat the Hawkeyes. Then Nebraska goes on the road to Northwestern, gets down pretty big, crawls back into it, got a chance to win and lose a close one. It's kind of who this team is. Like the range of what you could see night to night is really wide with this team. Like Jake and I talked about in the pod, like this team's margin for error is razor thin. Got to be locked in every single possession of every game just to give themselves a chance to win. And they're still mastering that. They're, they're, still, they're still finding that consistency of what it takes night in and night out. But again, it's coming along for them. It's coming along for them. It's, I mean, try to piece this together. Yes, Nebraska has lost to UC Riverside, Southern Utah, and North Dakota, but they also beat Purdue, who rocked Michigan State, and beat Iowa, who rocked Maryland. Try piecing all that together. I mean, <laughs> just really, really tough to do. With, with Creighton, so Creighton beat Xavier in the Centos Center on the road. Uh, and, and once again... Creighton's defense was rock solid. It's the most underappreciated aspect of this of of this team. How consistent they've been on that end of the floor. It's pretty. It, I can't really think of a game where it was like, boy, Creighton's defense didn't show up at all. They've given themselves a chance to win almost every single game with how they've defended. And so that's been underappreciated. And speaking of underappreciated. So I was, uh, I'm, I'm getting ready to go to bed on Saturday night. I'm kind of flipping through the channels and I stumble on FS1 and it's, it's, a, it's, it's replaying the Creighton Xavier game. I'm like, oh, cool. Okay, let me watch this here a little bit. You know, sometimes I like to listen back to the games that I call and all that. And, and I'm watching the Creighton Xavier game, the replay of it. And Balak is just hitting bombs from three, right? Tough shots, bombs from three. And basically, I'm on the call as the analyst, and I'm not even reacting to them. Like, Balak's hitting like a ridiculously tough 24-footer, and I'm just like not even reacting to him. And I'm watching it back, and I found myself going, geez, Nick, are you seriously that numb to Balak's shooting ability? And you know what? I think I kind of am. I think we've almost all gotten numb to just how elite of a shooter Mitch Balak is. He was five of nine from three against a long athletic Xavier team. And he's shooting 45% from three this year. I mean, guys, he is elite. He's not a good shooter. He's not a great shooter. He's an elite shooter. And the other thing with, with him is he doesn't turn the ball over. He's basically kind of a coach's dream in a lot of, a lot of ways. He's an elite shooter. He's a great decision maker. He's played 605 minutes this season, and he's only got 14 turnovers. Think about that. He's on the court, handling the ball, playing fast, 605 minutes, 14 turnovers. That's unbelievable. Let that sink in for a second. Let that sink in. And, you know, Rob Anderson, 
you know, the 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 man, the myth, the legend, the SID for the Creighton Blue Jays, who's just outstanding at his job. He he had this little nugget per college basketball reference, basketball reference for the college side. Creighton's Mitch Ballack is one of 41 players to have played 600-plus minutes this season. His 14 turnovers are 10 fewer than any other player on the list. I mean, what he's doing shooting the ball and then taking care of the ball as well is uh, really impressive. I'm just, I'm I'm done being numb to it. You know, that's my, like, it's a little late for New Year's resolution. But, like, I'm, I am, I am done. I'm going to try to go out of my way to make sure I fully appreciate the level of shooting we are seeing with Balak. He was, he was the driving force behind Creighton's road win at Xavier. And that's a good win. You know, because two and two, starting two and two in conference play is a whole lot better than being one and three, right? And after dropping one at home to Nova, especially in the fashion that she did, it was good for Creighton to get get one back on the road. And so uh, I thought Mahoney played better. Uh, I thought Tyson Alexander woke back up, and he, he hit back-to-back threes that were probably the two biggest shots of the game offensively. I thought Ballack made the play of the game with blocking Fremantle uh, that erased a dunk. And then on the other end, Mahoney got a layup. Uh, but Kelvin Jones gave uh, solid minutes. Sharif Mitchell came in and, and was solid for a short spurt. That Damian Jefferson continues to play well. Like, I just think, uh, you know, Creighton's, Creighton's a few poor shooting minutes away against Villanova from sitting here at 3-1, and one, and everybody's feeling pretty good about the Blue Jays. But that's a good win. Before I get to uh, Mac, uh, I... I I want to get my Biggie's power rankings here for a second because I want to kind of do this relatively consistently. So, because this league's just crazy. And I said it on the call the other day uh, against yeah, in the Creighton Xavier game that like the biggest thing that separates the, the Big East right now is like usually every conference has like one or two teams that you're like, those two teams are bad. Like, for whatever reason, uh, new coach, transitional year, injuries, whatever. There's maybe, or, or some teams just like perennially a bad team, whatever. There is no bad teams in the Big East. None. And so there, it's just, it's wild how, how, how deep this conference is. If I had to get my Big East power rankings of a Jan- as of January 12th, here you go, I'll kind of hammer through them. At number one, I got Seton Hall. I, I'm not moving off that. I That's my next game. I got Seton Hall at Butler on Wednesday night on FS1 with my boy Timmy Brando. And I'm, I'm watching, I've been watching Seton Hall film. And listen, man, they, they don't have Sandra Mamokalashvili, who's probably their second best player. He's still out with the broken wrist for another handful of weeks. And they're out of this. They're, they're really good. The idea that there are 20, 25 teams better than that team is ridiculous. They're the best team in the conference. Their length and athleticism and 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 then Powell, what he can do scoring the ball. And they're so all bought into their role. Seton Hall's number one to me. Number two, Butler. Same thing. Like I think the prevailing thing about Butler and Seton Hall is their defense, they're beat built on the defensive end of the floor. And then I'm not sure there's two, like those two teams, there is zero there is nobody that's fighting their role. Like everyone is totally bought into what they're doing. And Butler had a good win at Providence the other day. Uh you know they're still their only losses by one point at Baylor. Like they're they're doing they're having a great year. And I right now, if the season ended today, Laval Jordan would be my my national coach of the year. 
At number three, I got Villanova. Uh, you know, I don't think this is like a vintage great Nova team, but you know what? They're they're winning. They beat Georgetown. They beat Creighton on the road. They beat Xavier. Uh, they're a team that I think is going to continue to get better and better and better as they tr- they still work in some of their new guys. They're playing a handful. Jeremiah Robinson Earl's a freshman. Justin Moore's a freshman. They're still playing some young guys. I got Nova three at four. I got Creighton. I still think it's the best backcourt in the Big East. Uh, you know, they were right there against Butler on the road. They really, I mean, they led Nova for 34 minutes and 30 seconds and, and, and kind of whizzed that one again, that, that game away. Uh, I, I still think Creighton's pretty damn good at five. I got Providence. Listen, I, I, they're, they're, uh, they're, they're off to a great start. They did lose to Butler obviously, but Cooley's finally got that group going. Uh, I'm not surprised that Cooley's pushed the right buttons. That team's checks a lot of the boxes. I think they're pretty good at number six. I'll say Marquette, although Marquette's kind of reeling right now, but any team with Marcus Howard, I think you got to be kind of, uh, you got to give the nod to at seven. I'll have Xavier Xavier struggling right now. Xavier's a team that like the reality of the situation with Xavier is somebody's got to step up and knock down some threes. They're a really poor three point shooting team. And, until someone proves that they can knock down threes consistently, teams going to pack the paint, they're going to trap the post, they're going to clog the lane, and it's going to make life really hard for them offensively. I mean, they they don't they don't shoot the three well, and they're turnover prone, and that those two combinations make it so your defense has to be rock solid, and usually it is, but their margin for error is kind of slim right now. They got to start making some shots. At eight, I got St. John's. Listen, they're a dangerous team with how they full court press, and Mustafa Heron and L.J. Figueroa are two of the I don't know. 9, 10, 11, 12 best players in the conference. Uh, they're a tough out. DePaul at 9, they've kind of had a rough start to uh, the Big East slate, but, man, they are, they're, they're still a talented team. And then at 10, I got Georgetown. Um, you know, they, they've, uh, they're still trying to find some, cons- some consistency, uh, but man, with your seven and, and, and Mac McClung, they're a dangerous team as well. So that's my biggest power rankings as of January 12th, Seton Hall one, Butler two, Nova three, Creighton four, Providence five, uh, Marquette at six, Xavier seven, eight St. John's nine, DePaul 10, Georgetown. All right. It had been since before the season that I've had uh, Coach McDermott on the podcast. And ideally, I, would, I was going to do this face-to-face, but Creighton went straight from Cincinnati to Washington, D.C. for uh, their, their game against Georgetown. So I, I, I said, you know what, let's get this guy on, and, and I, had him, uh, I had him on the phone. Really good chat with, with Coach McDermott, like it always is. I'd, and I wanted him to kind of reflect a little on career win number 500, what he's seeing from the team, and all that stuff. And you know, with with Mac winning 500 games, I was I've been thinking about Coach McDermott and Creighton. And you know what? This might not totally apply, but like I do think Creighton fans are a little bit like Indianapolis Colts fans. They don't know they being Colts fans. They don't know how lucky they are that they went straight from Peyton Manning to Andrew Luck. And yeah, I know throughout that whole thing from. 20 years of Peyton Manning and Andrew Luck, they got one Super Bowl out of it, which, you know, you kind of go, oh, that's not as, you figured you'd have more. But still, every Sunday for almost 20 years, you had a great quarterback. To hell with records. And I, listen, I know you play to win the game and all that stuff and win championships, but like for 20 years, Colts fans, when they turned on the Colts game, they knew they had a great quarterback. That's kind of like, I think the same thing about Creighton basketball fans. I hope that they appreciate what they've had for about 20 years here with Dane Altman and Greg McDermott. I, I, I do. For for 20 years, every night, you, you, 
you, Creighton fans got to either drive to the arena or turn on the Creighton game, and you you got a well-coached team, and you got a good coach stand on the sidelines. And yeah, I get it. Creighton doesn't have the Sweet 16 to show, run to show for it or whatever. But like, just like you, Peyton Manning and Andrew Luck only have one Super Bowl over the course of 20 years. Like, I get it. But I'm just saying, like, it's hard to put a price on for 15, 20 years to every time you, you and I'm talking to Creighton fans and Colt, like, to turn on the game and go, our team has a great quarterback, our team has a really good coach. Like, that's a, you know how many, you know how many coaching you know how many fan bases go, you know, 10, 15 years and then it's like they never get the coach right? So, you know, we talk about like appreciating Balak. Like, I still think, I still hope Creighton fans like appreciate Greg McDermott. His teams are fun to watch, the style of offense, the unselfishness of which they play. And listen, career win 500 is impressive. 500 wins. Pretty darn cool. Pretty darn cool. So let's get to it. Uh, lots uh, to to touch on quickly with Greg McDermott, and we uh, we touch on it all. Here is my podcast chat with the head coach of the Creighton Blue Jays, Greg McDermott. Well, it's uh, it's a pleasure that this guy would make time for me during the season. He's Greg McDermott. We are recording this on a Sunday night. Uh, the, the Creighton Blue Jays beat the Xavier Musketeers on Saturday afternoon, improved to two and two. But we're recording this at halftime of the Green Bay game. I figured, Mac, you're you're a Steelers guy. I figured if your Steelers were out of it, you were mentally checked out of it. Are you, it sounds like you're still into the the NFL playoffs where when you can kind of catch some. Well, the reality of is I've got a few assistants that are still into it. You know, Coach Huss is a Kansas City Chief fan, and Murph is a Packer fan. So I've got to. We got to schedule everything that I do in the meetings that I want to have around their favorite football team. And, right. <laughs> uh, with my Steelers out, I just rather watch meet in the middle of the game to really make them angry with me. But I've uh, <laughs> I've allowed them to watch the games. You poking them in the ribs a little bit? No, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. You have to once in a while. All right, Mac. We got a lot to get to. I won't keep you too long because I know when me and you get going, we can talk forever. But we'll get to. The, you know, the squad right now, the Xavier win, getting to 500 wins for your career. But I went from like a broad sense, Mac. So, you know, you were right there against Butler, had multiple opportunities. You're in a hole, but you, you crawl back into it. You, you led Nova for 34 minutes. You come up short both times. But then you close out the Xavier win on the road. And I said this the other day, and I know this may be over, oversimplifying it. But is some of this just the fact that basketball is kind of a make-or-miss game? Like against Xavier, you made shots late and you won. And against Butler and Nova, you didn't make shots. They did, and you lost. Like is some of it just kind of like we tend to overcomplicate things? Yeah, I mean, you know, absolutely. I mean, you, you want to try to get shots and you want to get good shots, and that's something that, you know, after games like Butler and Villanova and and games like Xavier, you sit down with your guys, you watch the film, you look at your quality of your shot. And, you know, if it wasn't a high quality shot, what could we have done different to get a better shot? Uh, if it was, then, you know, you prepare yourself for that moment to take that shot and then you have to live with the result, uh, whether it goes in or it doesn't go in. So, uh, you know, what I've been pleased with, obviously, Nick, is our defense has given us a chance in four straight games in, in a really, really good league. And, you know, I think some of the effort that we are uh, putting forth in the defensive end could possibly be impacting our shooters, especially late in games. 
And, you know, that's why we tried to get some guys off the floor a little bit more yesterday um, and hopefully have, a, you know, a little bit more gas in our tank at the end. But without question, you turn on games all the time. And, you know, sometimes teams are making shots and then the same team the next game goes, you know, three of 16 from three. And you can't really explain it. It's just the reality of it is the, the national average for three-point shooting is somewhere between 33 and 34 percent so some nights uh when you have a great night that's probably an outlier and and on nights when you you know you go three for 16 like we did against villanova uh that's an outlier as well so overall you'd say that that you're you're not gonna have a perfect possession and a great shot on every single offensive possession but for the most part over the course of these last three games here after that marquette game if you've it sounds like you felt decent about the overall shot quality well, I think overall, you know, I, I thought our shot quality, like the first 10 minutes, especially of the Butler game, uh, was really, really good. Like to the point where we had a chance, if we just are somewhat close to ourselves shooting the basketball, where we're up 10 or 12 early and it changes the complexion of the game. I thought we had good shots when we got Nova down 13 in the first half with a chance for separation didn't hit them. Uh, and I thought we had some, some decent shots uh, around the 10, 11 minute mark when we stretched it back to 10. Now, however, you know, some of our shots late in that game weren't great. Uh, we had some, some, you know, uncharacteristic turnovers during that stretch when we were up 10, you know, eight, seven, 10 points where you have a chance to maybe create some separation and keep that gap and you turn it over and you don't get a shot. And that's, those are things that we have to avoid, but you know, our guys, uh, it's something that I've really taken to heart a little bit more this year is really grading our shot quality on a game by game basis, both on the offensive end and the defensive end, because, you know, sometimes you just think you get good shots, but if you really break down every possession offensively and defensively, like did they take the shot we wanted them to take? And if they made it, so be it. Congrats. Pat him on the back. Did we take the shot on the other end that we want to take? And, uh, you know, sometimes it goes in, sometimes it doesn't, but you have to evaluate it, I think, in that fashion. What do you think the – because there is no doubt that, like, there's been a handful of – Arizona State didn't didn't really shoot it well. Defense gave you a chance, and you and you beat the door down. Same thing even with Oklahoma. Like, didn't shoot it great. You still won. Uh, Butler, Nova, d- defense gave you a shot. Like even when when shots weren't falling outside of Mitch being hot in the first half at Xavier, the defense has been there. What do you think the biggest difference is with the defense this year compared to maybe last year with your group? Well, I, I think we're a year older, Nick, and I, I think that's a big part of it. Obviously, you know, we, I brought Coach Lusk in. We changed the way we do things a little bit with our scouting and with our preparation where we, you know, where Paul is just the defensive guy and, and Al is working more with the offense. And, uh, you know, that has been, uh, I think that's been helpful. I think the consistency with the same voice, the same terminology uh, and, you know, and then, you know, I'm communicating with Paul all the time about defense and he's communicating with me. So we've streamlined it, so to speak. I think that's simplified it uh, a little bit uh, for our guys. And now you add to it that Marcus is healthy uh, he feels better. He's become a better defender. Tyshawn has really stepped up his game uh, from a defensive standpoint. I think Mitch has made a good jump. Uh, you know, DJ has gotten better. Denzel brings us another physical body defensively. And and Christian and Calvin, why they're kind of new in their role, I think they've gotten better as the season's gone on and understand uh, exactly what we need them to do. So, you know, I think our guys realize like we're going to have to defend in this league if you want to have a chance to sure. be successful. Unfortunately for us, they bought into it. Hey, Mac, 
with what you're kind of willing to share, take me behind the scenes right now with some of your, I'd imagine you probably had some one-on-one conversations with Denzel Mahoney where it's, you know, in his defense, I mean, it's hard. He's trying to, he's trying to get integrated into your system while still playing his game and everybody else has found their flow because it's halfway through the year. And I think to me, he's made big strides from the Oklahoma game to the Xavier game. What, what have those conversations been like when you guys are just kind of chatting one-on-one? Well, I mean, there's a couple things. Number one, you don't want to pr- press the panic button. Yeah. And you explain to him that this is a process and it's going to take time. And I, I don't care if he would have played his first two years with us and had to sit out a year and a half. When you come back after that long of a break, there's going to be a process of getting back into the flow. And I brought up the term sea legs, like you have to get your basketball legs back. And, un, you know, understanding the flow of the game when you're running up and down, you're defending, you're communicating, you're doing And all of a sudden, now, okay, okay, I've got a shot. Like, am, is my timing right? Are my legs right? Am I getting my legs underneath me? Am I getting the lift I need to? Um, that just takes time. It takes time to get in game shape. And you can try to simulate it all you want in practice, but until you get under the lights it's different and add to that that it's a different system with different guys and it's it's just going to take some time and having said all that you know when he when he when he struggled out of the gate you know the first three or four games he and i just got you know after practice let's go over and let's shoot some shots you know let's talk about it and let's make sure that what you're doing is consistent let's if it's not working let's change your routine slightly to try to get something that is working and i thought i thought in the xavier game in particular i thought he was much more within himself he drove to the basket he took contact uh he made a couple unbelievable hustle plays to keep offensive rebounds alive um so he's getting there and i think he's getting an understanding of what we need him to do and i think our guys are gradually understanding what he can bring to the table and that's going to be a process that's probably going to be ongoing here for another month (laughs) or six weeks that's just the reality of it yeah i how how challenging is it to balance keeping him confident and aggressive, but also pointing out some shots? Hey, might want to turn that one down, or hey, I don't love you driving into that. Like that's a that's a tough thing to balance, and not to kiss your ass too much. I think like I actually think of all the things you're great at as a coach, you do a really good job with all your players of cultivating confidence with intelligence offensively. Well, part of it is when we watch the film, Nick, when I watch with these guys, uh, I ask them to grade the quality of that shot. Right. So I get to hear what they think. And, you know, sometimes you're in the middle of the game and you take, you think, oh, that's a, you know, that's a good shot. You know, that's, that's what we wanted. And then you watch it on film and they look at me and go, yeah, I'd probably say that's pretty average. <laughs> so sometimes when they see it again for themselves, understand the situation in the game and, you know, maybe a couple of their teammates really have it going. They could have made one more pass, whatever it is. Uh, but I think when you allow them to, to tell you what they think, uh, they feel part of the process. And I think when they feel part of the process, they're invested in it and they're going to try to get better. So, um, you know, I don't want guys looking over their shoulder, wondering if it's a bad shot or a good shot. So if you're trying to avoid that as a coaching staff, you have to make sure there's communication prior to that. So guys really understand, you know, here's what we need you to do to have the best chance for our team to win. Uh, and sometimes we got guys that are better shooters than others. And sometimes guys drive it to the basket better than other guys. So we need you to be a star in your role and take the shots that are going to help our team win. And, and fortunately, I think our guys have bought into that. Damian Jefferson has really hit hit his stride like he's he's played well the last probably month or so is it as simple I talked to him maybe after gosh maybe the Oklahoma game 
He just said that his ankles finally, like he's feeling as good as he felt physically. There's a little more pop. Like, is it just that simple that his his body's feeling good, so he's playing better? I think that's part of it. I, I think he was always hesitant uh, coming off that injury of when he went into the paint where he had to explode off one feet or one foot or even two feet uh, when he got into the paint. And I, and now I don't think he's thinking about it anymore. And, you know, he's driving the basketball with confidence. He's taking it to the bas- basket with aggression. Uh, still not shooting the basketball the way I think he's capable of. And we all know he's capable of, but he's working on that. And, uh, you know, defensively, he's, he's obviously an important part of what we do. And on the backboards, he's got to be a guy that's flying in on the offensive glass and doing a great job in the defensive glass. So, you know, he's really stepped up his game. And, I, you know, I, I think that's a reason we've been successful. So last night, Mac, before I go to bed, I, I'm just flipping through the channels and there's a replay of the Creighton Xavier game on FS1. And I'm like, I'm going to watch this a little bit. And I, it, it, one thing that struck me is Mitch Ballack is hitting like these unbelievable bomb threes. And my reaction on the call is like pretty ho-hum. Like, oh, yeah, that's a good shot from Mitch. Like, I, I feel like we're almost like numb to how good of a shooter that guy really is. And then the other thing with 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 Mitch is I looked it up today. He's played 605 minutes and he has 14 turnovers. It's like I'd imagine in a lot of ways he's like what you dream about as a coach, guy that can make shots, he's not going to turn it over, he's about all the right things. Like what am I missing with Mitch? Well, first of all, Nick, neither myself or your listeners are going to fall for the fact that you just passed. We're flipping the channels and caught the game. Like you knew exactly when it was on, and you hey. couldn't wait to get home and watch yourself and listen to yourself. I got to, so, I got to, I got to watch the film. I got to evaluate myself. Was that so, a good call? So was we, that? We not? all know, and your loyal listeners especially know, there's no one that loves a little bit of Nick Bomb more than Nick Bomb. So we let's let's set that straight. Yeah, now, secondly, yeah, yeah. <laughs> in terms of Mitch Malik, I mean, you're exactly right. You. Uh, when he does it every single day, you just, as a coach, you say, don't take that for granted because those guys are hard to find. And obviously, you know, he's, he's an unbelievable shooter. He's a great teammate. He's a great leader. And when you have guys that shoot it like that, normally they are hunting shots and they're demanding shots and they want to know where their next shot's coming from. And, it, Mitch Ballack, if anything, is probably a little bit too unselfish and that he turns down some shots that I wish he would take. So, uh, you know, he's he's uh, he's a dream to coach. And, and you know, as you mentioned, his his ball security and yeah. a, an ability to make plays uh, with a with a very high level of basketball IQ has been incredible. So, uh, you know, he's he's really important to what we do. And obviously, as I talked about earlier, he's made good strides defensively. But when you have to guard somebody at 30 feet, it, you know, it, it creates some space on the floor <laughs> yes, for other does. guys to do their thing. All right, I want to ask you about Marcus, the Big East, and then a few five, you know, the fact that you got your career win number 500, then I'll let you get back to watching the Packers. With with Zegarowski, have you noticed, and, and it started a little bit, uh, I, I'd say in the Oklahoma game, he, I, I, I bet if you could get a peek at uh, Jay Wright's scouting report and Laval Jordan's scouting report and Travis Steele's scouting report, the first name on the list is probably Zegarowski. Have you noticed that, that, that he had such a good non-con that he is now getting like the most attention from people? Yeah, I don't, I don't think there's any question. I think people have some decisions to make, certainly with you know our three guards both playing at a really high level. Where do you put the best defender? And you know, teams have made the decision to put some length on Marcus, and you know, he's just got to adjust to that, and he's the type of player that he's going to get better 
every single game and understanding how to do that and how to play against it and how to use it to his, his advantage. And, and as a coaching staff, we have to figure out a way to get him a little bit of space, but you know, he's earned that right because he's played such good yeah. basketball and he, he does so many things for us besides score. Uh, you know, his leadership, obviously defensively, he's really improved. He's our leading assist guy. Um, you know, he's the guy we want to have the ball in his hands when the game's in balance and he's done a terrific job with that. And, uh, I wouldn't trade him for anybody. You know, Mac. Yesterday, we, we were talking before the game with with Kugler and Andy Katz. You, you made a comment about just the conference that you kind of you've never been in a league quite like this in all your years of coaching. And you know, is I'm curious what you think the defining trait of the conference is because let's be real, almost every year in a conference there there's maybe one. You know, I don't want to call them a bad team, but there's maybe one or two teams that are in a transitional year, just kind of having a rough year. And it doesn't feel like there's any of those teams in the conference. Is that the prevailing thing with the league to you? Yeah, yeah, I think so. And, and you know, you look at a couple of the teams that have struggled, you know, in St. John's and DePaul so far. You know, St. John's beats Arizona and West Virginia. You know, DePaul goes on the road and beats a good Iowa team. So, like, it's a, it's a, it's a, you know, it, they've been really, really consistent in, in non-conference play. And you get into this league and everybody knows you a little bit better and it, it becomes difficult, but there are no easy outs in this league. No. I, you know, I've always felt like the coaching is outstanding in this conference. And now you have a lot of veteran players. You look across the league and, you know, you know, Villanova's got a couple freshmen playing a pretty important role. Um, but other than that, you know, how many freshmen are really playing a prominent role on any of these teams? It's it's a lot of guys that are either been in the program or have transferred into the program and they have some experience playing college basketball. And that's a recipe for a really successful league. So, Mac, you get career win number 500 uh, on, on Saturday against Xavier. And I, I'm sure you've seen it. I saw some someone tweeted out some footage of your first win at Wayne State. And yeah, you know, hair's a little darker and a little thicker, but the mannerisms are all the same with with you. When when I'm when I'm watching that, and then I think about you know seeing you on the sidelines against Xavier for for win number five hundred. When did you gain confidence as a coach? Because coaching's just like anything else, playing whatever. Where there's a moment, a season, a game, something that makes you feel like I can do this. I I I'm my confidence is growing. Was there was was it early? Was it like Northern Iowa? Like when, when did you feel like yeah, I I can do nice. this? I think my experience at Division II, uh, Nick, was was an unbelievable training ground for me. Uh, number one, I coached against great coaches, and and uh, you know while you maybe aren't coaching seven footers and six six athletes that can touch the top of the square, you're coaching against guys and and coaching players that really know how to play the game of basketball, and there's a lot of scheming that goes into that. Um, and you know, I, I made a ton of mistakes at Wayne state college, my first few years, but nobody knew about it. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> uh, I, I was able to kind of learn from them and make adjustments as I went and, you know, really put together a good group of, of young guys that were, was able to take that program to, uh, a really good place and have some success in the postseason. And, uh, so, you know, I've always just enjoyed, I, I enjoy the challenge of trying to figure out you know, what makes this next team go? What What's the best fit? How should we play? Uh, what gives us the best chance to win? And sit down with the coaching staff and trying to figure that out. And that's that's part of the joy of coaching sure. uh, at this level. And I've really enjoyed it. And obviously, I've been lucky to coach some really, really good players and have some, you know, I've got seven or eight guys that are Division One head basketball coaches that work for me. And 
so I've had some really good people that I've been surrounded by uh, along this journey. Yeah, to expand on that, and we'll get you out of here on this. I know this sounds corny and like a Hallmark card, but when you, I'd imagine last night you probably did a little bit of reflecting when you do get to 500 wins. When you when you kind of reflect, do you think more about like the relationships and the players and the coaches more so than like specific games and wins and losses? Yeah, you, you really don't think about those. Uh, you know, I just I just left dinner with a, a young man that I recruited out of Kentucky that played for us at North Dakota, and I coached him a couple of years and then left and went to Wayne State. I remember us both crying in the locker room when I told him I was leaving to take this head coaching job, but we've, we've stayed in touch, you know, 25, 30 years later, you know, we still get together whenever I come out this way and had dinner with his parents. And, you know, I got a lot of messages last night from former players from, from everywhere, from, yeah. from, you know, from Wayne state, from North Dakota state, from, from Northern Iowa, Iowa state, certainly some of our Creighton guys. And, you know, I just realize you just realize how lucky you are to have come in contact with so many wonderful people. And when y'all get together, you talk about a lot of moments that took place and very seldom is it something that happens in a game. It's something <laughs> that happened in the locker room or something happened in the bus or on a road trip or in the hotel. And it's got everybody laughing. And, and you know, that's really what makes what I do uh, pretty incredible. Well, congratulations, Mac. I mean, it's a it's a pretty impressive feat. Now, you did I see that you only had one? You only brought one suit on this trip, and it got all wet because the guys doused you with water. Like, what's is? You got like John or Lou, someone trying to figure out what you're gonna do with your suit here. uh, I had I had a feeling that you know those guys might be up to something. So on the way back to the locker room, I said to Johnny, I said, you know, I only brought one suit. Johnny said. Oh, uh, we'll get it cleaned. <laughs> so uh, he was prepared, and uh, nice. we talk about my staff with loyalty and sticking together. And when that water started flying, it's like those guys couldn't have left the room fast enough. <laughs> there was nobody left but me uh, by the time that water went in the air. So I love uh, it. it was a fun moment with the team, and something I'll never forget. Greg McDermott, you're the man. Hey, I know you're super busy. Appreciate you, appreciate you taking some time out. Uh, best of luck against Georgetown. All right, thanks, Dan. You got it back. Thank you.